But as today, uh, just as Jamie said, we do have two of our high school seniors who are here and they're going to preach the word to us today. And so I direct your attention one more time to the bulletin. It lists the scriptures that they, they will be speaking from. And so that will help you follow along. The first one up, we have Zach Boyage. And Zach, go ahead and come on up here. I'm going to pray for these gentlemen and uh, then we'll begin. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Holy Father, Lord, I, I just praise you for your kindness towards us. Lord, I praise you for um, this gift that is Harvest Church, Lord. Thank you for this body of believers, Lord, as we come now and uh, Zach takes us into the word. Lord, would you be with Zach and Aaron? Lord, would you speak with their mouth? Lord, would you think with their minds? Lord, not to us, not to us, O oh Lord, be the glory, but to your name forever and ever, Lord. This is our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, Harvest. My name is Zach Boyajan, and I'm a senior at Carryville High School. Today, I wanted to share with you a struggle that I've fought throughout my whole life, which has been my confidence in myself, my confidence in my faith. The passage that I'm going to focus on today is in Exodus, and it's about Moses. Now, when we as a church think of Moses, we typically think of the Moses that led his people out of Egypt, or the Moses that split the Red Sea through God's power. But the Moses that I find the most reliable is the one before all that. This is the Moses at the burning bush who is unconfident and scared. At this point in his life, God is calling him to the major task of leading his people out of Egypt. But Moses doesn't feel up to it because he feels unworthy. Let's begin in Exodus 3 where Moses objects to God's calling. Verses 11 through 12 read, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. This shall be the sign for you that I have sent to you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this very mountain. Here, Moses objects that he is unworthy to appear before Pharaoh. He was scared that Pharaoh would look down on him or possibly hurt or kill him. He feels unworthy to appear before Pharaoh because he thought that his value was based on something that he had done. Moses lacked confidence because his identity identity was rooted in the approval of a man. Similar to Moses, I too became reliant on the approval of others. When I was in fifth grade, my friends would tease me about the books I read or the movies that I watched. Now, these seem like small issues, but they already started to affect the confidence that I had in myself. Heading into sixth grade, I was afraid to say anything to anybody about what I enjoyed because I thought that they they would judge me. I couldn't be myself in front of my friends because I was scared that they wouldn't like me. My fear of what others would think of me created a lack of confidence in myself and a reliance on what they would think instead of what God thinks. This also applied to my athletic life. I love to play basketball, and I practice every day throughout the year. However, when I played on a team, I would be too afraid to shoot a shot because I was scared that I would miss it. I wouldn't play as hard as I could because I was scared of what the audience would think of me if I were to miss a shot or turn the ball over. Now, you might be wondering what shooting a basketball or hiding my passions has to do with being a Christian. If I couldn't confidently shoot a basketball, how could I confidently profess God's word? I was asking the same questions Moses was. Who am I? What would be the outcome if I followed God's leading? Both Moses and I were fearful of how others would think of us because we felt unworthy. But God assured Moses by saying, I will be with you. He will help Moses to bring his people out of Egypt to worship him and ultimately bring him glory. This scripture shows us how God makes us worthy to carry out his will. This fact is not only true for Moses, but it's true for me and everyone else who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. However, even though God assured Moses that he would be with him, he still did not feel up to the task. Exodus 3, verses 13 through 15 read, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, 
the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I'm to be remembered throughout all generations. Moses objects a second time, saying that he didn't know the name of God. In other words, he felt inadequately prepared because he didn't know enough about God to present to others. I too have been afraid to share my faith to my non-Christian friends because I felt like I didn't know enough about him, and I felt unworthy to present his word. Thankfully, God has provided me and everyone else with a way to know his name and know his character by giving us his word in the Bible. It tells us who he is and reveals his constant grace and mercy to us. For Moses, God told him his name so that he would be able to boldly profess his character in front of the people of Israel and Pharaoh to bring glory to God. Nevertheless, even though God was reassuring him to Moses of his name and his presence, Moses was still afraid to carry out the task that God had called him to do and objects a third time. Exodus 4.1 reads, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. Moses is too focused on the approval of man that Pharaoh and the people of Israel will not believe that God sent him. He was afraid of being wrong and embarrassing himself because he was presenting something out of the ordinary to them and that they would not believe that it was from God. Not only that, but he was scared of looking like a fool. Like Moses, I was afraid to do God's will because I was afraid of being outcasted socially or being thought of as weird or unpopular. Every summer, our youth group would go to serve at a VBS in Orange Mound. It had become one of my favorite parts of the summer, but for all the wrong reasons. The summer before my junior year, I was so focused on being with my friends and talking with them and building up my social status that I lost sight of what the whole point of us as a youth group being there was, which was to serve the kids and teach them the word of the Lord. I thought that being popular was more important than carrying out God's will, and I was afraid that serving those kids would keep me from seeming popular to the people around me. I became very reliant on how others would think of me, and my fear crippled me. I couldn't be myself, and I couldn't be the person that God made me to be. Even though that VBS was full of self-doubt and an over-reliance on others' opinions, God used it as a sign to show me how fearful I had become. For Moses, God responded by showing him three miraculous signs to perform in front of the people in the case that they would not believe him. He provided Moses with everything that he needed to face his fears of looking like a fool. Moses put the opinions of others above God, but God showed Moses that he is mightier than any fear idol that we may have. He prepared him to stand up to his fear, and by doing so, showed that he was with him every step of the way. But Moses was still fearful, and objects a fourth time. Exodus 4, 10 through 12 reads, But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Moses was so focused on his weakness of a slow tongue, and he allowed it to stand in his way. Despite everything that God had previously shown him, Moses was still fearful of carrying out God's will because he focused on his weaknesses of, as a person. Like Moses, I've allowed my weaknesses to stand in the way of the task that God has called me to do. On many occasions, I've been afraid to share God's word with some of my non-Christian friends out of a fear that I would not say the right thing or that I would make it awkward between us. Instead of encouraging them through Christ or praying for them, I would let the moment pass. But God tells Moses that he created his tongue 
and that he was with them the whole way by once again responding, I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Although it was difficult to see all the time, God was with Moses. And the same thing is true of us. He's with us in our weaknesses, and he uses those weaknesses to bring glory to himself. However, Moses was still fearful, had one last objection to God's call to action. While we are tempted to be frustrated with Moses, if we are honest, we often see the same cycle of doubt in our own lives. Exodus 4, 13 through 15 reads, But he said, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and teach you both what you shall do. Like Moses, I had a hard time wrapping my head around the simple fact that God was far greater than anything that I could face. I was objecting to God's calling. I would find myself rationalizing my objections by saying, someone else will teach them about Jesus. By thinking like this, I missed some of the opportunities to spread God's word. Moses chose to take a backseat to God's calling, therefore missing part of the joy of being on mission with God. Thankfully, like how God gave Moses Aaron as a tool to help him to bring glory to God, he gave me many tools to help along the way. He surrounded me with disciple makers that taught me to see things about the Bible that I never would have seen before. I've been blessed with parents and siblings who have encouraged me in this way as well. They've always been there for me. They've always encouraged me to be confident in who I am and who God made me to be. God also helped me to see the error of my ways through his word. God has used the scriptures to reveal times where I was putting the approval of others ahead of his will. As a result, I pray that God would help me me to put him before the opinions of my peers. I made church a priority and immersed myself in God's word so that I can grow in my relationship with other Christians around me. God placed all these tools in my life to help me through my struggles and to sharpen my faith and confidence in who I am and who he made me to be. Aaron was placed with Moses to help him with what he struggled with most, which was his slow tongue. God has placed not only people, but also the scriptures and his constant assurance of his presence in my life to to help me fight my lack of confidence and fear of others' opinions. If you're here today as a young kid or teenager who has the same doubts and objections like me, take your Bible and cling to it. Find a disciple maker and learn from him or her. God built this church, so draw near to it. God finally convinced Moses by constantly assuring him that he was with them. Through Moses, God helped to free his people from captivity by sending plagues to those who opposed his will. God gave his people freedom through Moses but it wasn't completely smooth sailing after Moses finally trusted in God. Once they left Egypt after the plagues, Pharaoh had a change of heart and decided to go after the Israelites and attempt to recapture them. Feeling desperate and out of hope, the Israelites began to bicker about how it would have been better for them to have been slaves in Egypt than to die in the wilderness. But Moses boldly proclaimed God's word in Exodus 14, 13 through 14. Moses said to the people, fear not, Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Even though the people took their eyes off of God, Moses knew that God was with them and that he was working for their good. He was confidently assured that God would deliver them from the hands of Egypt because he knew that God was holding them in his hands. Obviously, my story isn't over yet, but God has walked with me through middle school and high school. A year ago, I would not have even thought of doing anything like preaching in front of the whole church body. But God has worked through me, and he has always been with me, 
constantly reassuring me of his presence and that I am made perfect through his grace and mercy. I'm not done with my struggles with confidence, but I am confident that God will help guide me through them. Despite all of Moses' objections, God had an answer to everyone. When Moses asked who he was to appear before Pharaoh, God assured him that he would be with him. When Moses wasn't sure of God's character, God showed him by declaring his powerful name. When Moses was afraid because he wasn't sure if the others would believe him, God gave him miraculous signs that assured him of his presence. When Moses wasn't sure if he could carry out God's will because of his slow tongue, God declared that he created his tongue and once again assured him that he would be with him. When Moses pleaded that God would send anyone else, God gave him his brother Aaron and assured him that he would be with him. God showed that every single one of these objections presented by Moses are inadequate because he was with them. And the same thing is true of us. If Moses hadn't trusted in God, then he and the rest of his people would have been held captive in Egypt. And that is true of our lives too. By placing our faith in things like the approval of others, we are being enslaved by our sins. But God provided us with a way to escape that captivity, and his name is Jesus Christ. Out of his grace and mercy, he provided us with a perfect sacrifice that died a brutal death so that we would not have to place our faith in things like worldly values. We can instead place our faith in him. And by doing this, we are covered with his perfect blood and are safe from our captivity. We no longer have to live in fear of others, but we can instead rejoice in his glorious name. Thank you. Hello, my name's Aaron McKaig and I'm a senior at DCS. Fourth quarter senior year has caused me to look back to see where I've come from. Over the years I've changed a lot, but one thing has been consistent throughout my entire childhood, my love for fantasy novels. My favorite of which is the Lord of the Rings series. In that book, there is a hobbit named Sam Gamgee, who's my favorite character of all time. His love for second breakfast and gardening, coupled with his overly quirky personality, gave me someone in the book to connect with. However, those qualities of Sam are not what attracts me to him. It's his consistent humility all throughout the novel. His sole purpose on the journey is to be Frodo's servant. Sam was a faithful companion who was loyal and courageous. He knew his mission was to help Frodo and Sam would have given his life for Frodo's mission. Sam's service reminds me of a much greater man whose sole purpose on his journey was to serve all humanity. Let's, let's turn, or uh, Christ did something radical that has challenged me since my early days as a believer. Before Christ, went, before Christ went to the cross and right before Judas betrayed him, Christ did something radical that has challenged me since my early days as a believer. Let's read from John 13. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and begun to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This radical act of humility, or anything close to it, would have been a far cry for little Aaron McKeg to do. From day one, I've been concerned for my welfare above all else, and most importantly, how others saw me. I obsessed over making people think I was a good person. As a kid, if you asked me if I was humble, I would have said, yes, I'm the most humble person that I know. <laughs> and I truly believed that. I believed heaven was to be earned and I deserved entrance into it. But then I found myself sitting in a room at the last day of church camp. It was summer 20, 2013 and as God was, and the gospel was being shared, while God was revealing to me the depth of my sin. 
I realized the weight of my sin and what, I, what it had earned me. It certainly wasn't heaven. That night, I saw the good news as a gift and not something to be earned. By God's grace alone did I believe the gospel and put my trust in Christ to save me. In an instant, I was a new creation. I had a life of being a disciple before me. Christ had freed me from my sin, but I was still struggling with pride. How would I ever put service over self? In John 13, Jesus has set the example for me to follow. He had saved me for a purpose. Through a life of humility and service, I can glorify God. But following Christ's example in John 13 doesn't always look like a fun opportunity. In fact, I seem to look at service more like an obligation than an opportunity. For example, as a freshman on the lacrosse team, it was my responsibility to be the water boy, to carry goals off the field, and to pick up lacrosse balls after practice. To be honest, it was a burden after a long, hard, hot practice. Yet compared to Jesus' example as a foot washer, my job was one of nobility. 2,000 years ago, foot washing was a looked down upon job to say the least. Nobody volunteered for that task. Yet here's Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, setting aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tying it around his waist, pouring water into a basin, and washing the disciples' feet. Jesus wasn't required to do this. He humbled himself. He deserved the seat of honor, but here he kneels to wash the feet of the very men he created. He set this example for me so that when I was no longer a freshman and required to be the water boy, I had the opportunity to serve as the water boy. But Jesus didn't simply give, me, give us the picture of service. He gave us the power of service. Let's continue reading John 13. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him and that's why he said, not everyone was clean. As an early Christian, I believed that I disobeyed a perfect God. However, I hadn't quite realized just how dirty I was. I didn't know the extent of my sin and I didn't have a full picture of how low Christ must go to wash me. Like Peter, I would have been dumbfounded and in shock when I saw Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Jesus' answer to Peter was that he did not know what he was doing, but that he would later understand. You see, Jesus washing Peter's feet was just a small part of what he had to do to wash him spiritually. After Jesus went to the cross, Peter would understand the full extent of how low Christ must go to lift him up. When Jesus came to me, I too would have rejected how much I really needed to be washed. But by junior year, God was revealing to me the depth of my need. It all happened when God when asked, if God answered every one of your prayers this instant, how would the world change? I realized my selfishness when I answered, no one would change, just me. The Holy Spirit revealed to me that even behind good works, there were selfish motives. Peter's objection that Christ should never wash my feet went along well with my general outlook. But no matter how hard I tried to keep the outside clean, 
It was the inside that needed to be washed. We must see that Jesus washing the, his disciples' feet is a picture of how he will serve them on the cross. In verse 8, Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Jesus served in a way that no other could. Christ has washed us by his blood shed on the cross. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is, a, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Christ returns to the table intent on teaching them the principle that he just acted out. Anything done as a disciple of Christ is not done as an original act, but is done imitating what Christ had done. Christ not only gave his disciples the example to follow, his purpose was to give his disciples the ability to follow it. Humble service flows out of experiencing the gospel. As I recall the past four years, I see the amount of opportunities God has given me to live Christ's example out. He was always the one giving me the ability to follow it. One of the ways God has changed my view of service is to give me a disciple maker that keeps the gospel in front of me. At a downline summit, I heard a speaker talk about his process of disciple making, and he even brought his disciples there with him. I realized that to be a disciple maker, you must first be a disciple and know what a disciple looks like. After that conference, I prayed daily for someone to disciple me. Little did I know God was working behind the scenes. Five months later, God brought one of those very disciples from that conference to coach at ECS. It didn't take long before he was discipling me and teaching me how to read the Bible. I spent time with him and I started following the Christ I saw in him. One thing he has taught me is using everything we do as a platform to share the gospel. He told me he was a coach for the platform it gave him. So I started following his example and soon playing lacrosse was a platform for me. God has sent a disciple maker that I could watch be humble and serve. And because of that, he held me accountable and spurred me on to live a life of humble service. Above all else, God gave me his very presence with which I feel love beyond all measure. He gives me joy unspeakable and peace that surpasses all understanding. He fills me with love for himself that turns into love for others. God has blessed me so that I can be a blessing to others. Any good anyone sees in me is a result of God's amazing work in my life. It's all God. Jesus says, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Now is the time. We are to take Christ's example and serve one another, to love our neighbors by getting on mission with God, to have intentional gospel conversations or go on mission trips. After the love displayed by Christ and his explanation of how we are to love one another, he says for us not just to know this, but to do this. The lesson he taught is of little good unless we act on it. We have a decision to make with the, not, with the truth that we have. On my knees as a sixth grader, at a summer camp I was washed clean. My only response could be, with Christ's example before me and his power within me, to put service over self. I fail at this often, but I find forgiveness every time within the arms of Christ. Ultimately, I'm learning that this is the beauty of the gospel. 
We do fail, but Christ made a way. To be honest, Christ's way is difficult. It requires daily humility and, co- and costs us our very lives, but our joy is made full. I pray that we all imitate Christ's example, living lives of service with a towel around our waists. And by doing so, we will find the blessing of a relationship with God. Let us pray. God, may we be doers of John 13 and not just hearers. And by doing so, the world would see that we are your disciples by our love for one another through how we wash one another's feet. In Jesus' name, amen. Zach and Aaron, we are uh, truly appreciative of you guys' preparation that went into this morning and just the courage it takes, takes to stand up and, uh, and preach the truth, proclaim God's word to our body. And uh, we certainly have been um, blessed by uh, your efforts and your willingness and availability this morning. Thank you, brothers. Appreciate y'all. Um, yeah, amen. First Timothy um, Chapter 4, Paul actually says to Timothy, who's a young pastor at the time, let no one despise you for your youth, but set for the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And until I come, devote yourself to public reading of the scriptures, to exhortation, and to teaching. So you guys are following in the example of Timothy this morning, and we're deeply blessed. Hey, we, uh, if you're new to Harvest, we... Um, uh, end our service each week with a time of communion. Uh, both of these uh, young men spoke to the importance of God's presence in their life. Um, Zach talking about how uh, he learned to put no confidence in the flesh and uh, the, the intimacy of Christ replacing that insecurity he had to be liked by his friends. And Aaron talking about the blessing of God's word and of God sending a man at just the right time to uh, disciple him, which was a, a great providential blessing. And, and did you hear how he said, I was praying for this every day. And little did I know, God was already at work, and that's often how it is. And so uh, let's be fervent in prayer for discipling relationships. And he said God met him with his presence, and that presence um, led him away from false humility and towards true humility, uh, which is what the presence of God will often do, reveal to us our pride, uh, our selfishness, our pharisaical attitude um, that we all carry a little bit of in some way or another, and, uh, and teach us to die to ourselves and truly become more like Christ. Those are, uh, those are great gospel truths. We're reminded of those as we come to the table. We have crackers and uh, juice that represent the body and blood of Christ. Uh, the table is, uh, is sacred for the church. We're remembering the, the sacrifice Christ made on the cross. We're remembering that that very sacrifice is the ultimate demonstrations of God's love for us, even in the midst of our sin. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we come to the table thanking God for what he's done in the finished work of Christ, thanking Jesus for his sacrifice. We also come acknowledging that we are uh, broken, uh, we are sinful, we are in need of that sacrifice. It's not an assist Jesus gave us, he took our place in judgment. And, um, and we also, the table itself is the best invitation we can give. Uh, there, there's no sin that you may have in your life, there's no dark place, maybe that you've never even revealed to anyone else that uh, prevents you from coming all the way to the very presence of God in the throne room of grace because Christ's blood uh, runs wide enough to cover all of our sins. So the table is sacred in the church. These are elements that are symbolic. Uh, We believe they uh, represent the body broken, the blood shed of Jesus Christ. And so we uh, we do what Jesus said. He said, "As as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Paul exhorts us in 1 Corinthians 11, examine ourselves. 
there's a lot of debate in the church about exactly what he means, but I think, uh, I think one uh, relevant application is that we take a moment. Sometimes the moment I say break, everybody rushes to the table, and I'd encourage you to take a moment and just examine yourself. Let the Spirit go to work in your own conscience, in your own heart. And if there is uh, revealed in your heart sin, I, I would, uh, again, grateful for God's mercy, grateful for the grace of God. You're not kept, you're not prevented from coming to the table because of that. But there's an opportunity to confess in your seat, confess to God uh, what that sin is. Thank the Holy Spirit for revealing it to you so that you can actively repent of it. Uh, not only do we enjoy the forgiveness of God, but the freedom of God from our sin through the grace of Jesus Christ. And so uh, confess that sin, repent. We, we have a ministry team. We ask them to fill these gaps. In just a moment, I'll ask them to do that as I pray. They fill gaps all around the worship center. We just want to be available to pray for you. Uh, you may be struggling with something that it's having a hard time getting freedom from. We'd love to know, to pray with you, uh, maybe to help you seek further counseling or discipleship in that area. Maybe something just laid on your heart. You may be desiring to know Christ and saying, hey, I, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I want one. What do I do? We'd love to pray with you and uh, begin um, uh, teaching you what it means to know and love and follow Jesus, to help you act upon those desires that God has put in your heart. So we want to be available. This is a, literally, it's a ministry team for, for a ministry time. So, so utilize this as well as the uh, time of taking communion. Um, and uh, the way we do it here at Harvest, if you come and take the elements, you can go back of the room, back to your seats. If you're here with family, roommates, you can uh, spend some time in prayer and then receive the elements as a demonstration of God's love and his grace and his mercy, which we celebrate as the church of Jesus Christ. So let me say a word of prayer. Ministry team, you can go ahead and take your places in the gaps as we pray. Father, thank you for the testimony and the word brought forth by two young men. Lord, we're in, a, we're in a day where young men are not readily standing up for the truth of the gospel. And we're thankful for these two. We're thankful for Zach and Aaron. We're thankful there are many more in our body. Many young men and young women that are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a joy it is to see their faith. Lord, we'd ask your blessing on them. Let them continue to grow in the grace of the gospel. Let them continue to run a good race. Let them continue to have their eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of their faith. Let their joy in you increase. Let them become continually more like you. Let there be less of themselves, more of, of you, Lord Jesus, alive in them. Uh, let their voice and their platform and their witness for you go, grow stronger and stronger in the days ahead and bring them to maturity in Christ. Lord, I pray the same for our body. Uh, we're commanded. Um, to uh, be a body that's maturing. And Lord, we uh, seek you this morning uh, in way of our own need, and our own dependence upon you. We recognize that in and of ourselves. Uh, we are um, evil and sinful. And so God, we want to right now acknowledge uh, our need for uh, you, Lord Jesus, what you've done. You've come and you've uh, lived a life that we could not live righteous according to the law. And you have died in our place and for our sin, that you may be the substitutionary atonement for our sin that we may walk in uh, righteousness, declared righteous, because you were indeed righteous and we are now in you by grace and through faith. Lord, thank you for the good sacrifice of yourself for us. Let us live lives of worship. Let our lives be acts of, of, a, of a living sacrifice uh, for your name's sake, for your glory. And let our delight be in obedience to your word. God, as we come now and take these elements, I pray that your spirit convict, quicken and convict in our hearts and our minds. Any sin that we need to repent of and let us readily do it, knowing our joy is found in obedience. In a response to the gospel, Lord, we say, uh, we surrender. You gave your life to us. We, we give our lives back to you. Let this time be a time of 
surrender and worship and prayer, repentance and peace and a receiving of your grace through Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.